0: Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. Continuing in this series called Insurgents, where we've been walking through the entire book of Mark, and we're kind of on the back end of it now. We're beginning to, to find our way on the home stretch of this wonderful gospel of Mark. And Mark has been a really fascinating look at us because Mark is really trying to get us to see something new about who this Jesus is, about what this kingdom of God is all about and how it is that we get to interact and participate in that. In fact, one of the the images that Mark gives us of this Jesus and of this kingdom is one of insurgents where we are this insurgent force into the world, this, this inbreaking of life and of light that is beginning to take shape all around us. The challenge with this is oftentimes for us, now two, nearly 2,000 years later, is we can get lost in that. We, we can forget what it is that we're truly a part of and, and our eyes can begin to get a little sleepy. Our eyes can begin to get a little bit heavy, and we start to miss all that is around us. Which is why I like poets so much. I absolutely love poetry. I would not consider myself to be an expert in poetry in any way, shape, or form. I love to read it. I love to encounter it. I love to find myself reading through the words of these poets and allowing their words to kind of just wash over me. Because poets see things. Poets see things that we miss because they've got this... Untr- or they've got this super trained eye that allows them to gaze at everything that is around them and create this beautiful beautiful word picture of what of what this world looks like all around us what is taking shape all around us they have this beautiful eye this trained eye to see beauty in the ordinary Poets see the immeasurable beauty in the everyday and, and, and they have trained themselves to open and share it with them, to share that with us. They crack themselves open and they pour out these words that we then get to experience. I love the poet Mary Oliver who just recently passed away and in her poem, Mindful, she says this. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and o'er in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab. The daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these the untrimmable light of the world, the ocean's shine, the prayers that are made of grass. Mary Oliver sees the world around us in such a way that she makes the very ordinary beautiful, but she says that that is her job. That's what she was created for, to pour out herself for us, to see beauty in the ordinary, to see anew. I might actually argue that that's our role as well, that that we as Christians, that we as followers of Jesus, that we as normal, ordinary human beings, that our role and our responsibility is the same as hers. To open our eyes and to begin to see the world around us anew. To find beauty in the mundane. To find beauty in the ordinary. To, To find beauty in the ant that crawls across a leaf to find beauty in the ways in which the grass blows in the wind back and forth, to find beauty in the birds as they glide through the sky, as they perch, as they feed their children, as they sit upon a branch, and yes, even the crows, (laughs) the creepy, creepy crows. (laughs) Alice, Uh, Alice uh, Walker said this in her poetry, or in her poem, I said to poetry, let me read this one. I forgot that I had it on my phone. It's a good place for it. I said to poetry, I'm finished with you. Having to almost die before some weird light, comes creeping through is no fun. No thank you, creation. No muse need apply. I'm out for good times, at the very least. Some painless convention. Poetry laid back and played dead until this morning. I wasn't sad or anything, only restless. Poetry said, you remember the desert and how glad you were that you have an eye to see it with? You remember that, if ever so slightly? I said, I didn't hear that. Besides, it's five o'clock in the a.m. I'm not getting up in the dark to talk to you. Poetry said, but think about the time you saw the moon over that small canyon that you liked so much better than the grand one, and how surprised you were that the moonlight was green and you still had one good eye to see it with. Think of that, poetry. Poets, help us to see and to appreciate the world around us in a new way, in a a different way than perhaps we would have ever known, seen, or appreciated before. But I think we have really a hard time, a difficult time, seeing beauty in the world around us a lot. I, I think we have a hard time seeing beauty in the ordinary, because oftentimes our eyes are so fixed on trying to find the extraordinary. We're really busy, really working hard, striving so hard to see these magnificent masterpieces all around us. We want to see the tremendous beauty. We want to see the tremendous and overwhelming beauty unfold before us, that we miss the ordinary. We look for the Instagrammable moments, the the ones that we can curate ourselves. Right? Like we want to curate these beautiful moments and we edit the pictures in such a way that when we share them, it looks even greater and even better than it was in the moment there because we want extraordinary moments. And so we focus in on that and we lose focus of the normal, of the ordinary beauty that sits in front of us. I think oftentimes as I walk through the city, as I make my way from meeting to meeting, I usually have headphones in and I usually am listening to something other than the sounds of honking and traffic and screaming or listening to something beautiful. I, I love to listen to Bon Iver as I walk through the city because it makes me feel like I'm in a movie, right? Like you have these, these soundtracks to your life almost and you, you plug it in and as you're walking through, you're like, yeah, that's right. I feel like I'm in a movie right now. You, you listen to the soundtrack to like Reservoir Dogs. That's an older movie. But you listen to the soundtrack of Reservoir Dogs and you're like, yeah, that's right. And you're walking with your chest out. You're super proud about everything as you make your way through. But we, as we do this, oftentimes... I feel like we have our heads down and we're listening to a podcast or we're listening to music. And as we're listening to it, we lose sight of everything else that is around us. The, the beautiful and even strange architecture that is coming into this city, right? Like the, the beautiful and the strange lines that we get to see all over the place. Even the spheres, as weird as they are, we walk by them and we don't look at them. We look down. We miss all of the beauty that is surrounding us. We miss the interaction of people as they talk to one another, as they care for one another, as they reach out a helping hand. We miss the moments of beauty that unfold before us because we're focused on nothing. We're focused on the sidewalk in front of us, or we're focused on not hitting that person, or making sure even if we're riding a bike through the city, we're, we're focused on not getting hit by a car, which is perfectly okay, but we're distracted. We're distracted by the things that unfold around us. We're distracted, and we miss the beauty. We miss it. In the book of Mark, we have this Jesus who has been hanging out with his disciples for quite a while. They've been walking through different parts of Israel, performing all of these extraordinary miracles, these beautiful things that are, uh, like, mind-boggling. Uh, people with leprosy are healed. The deaf can now hear. The lame can now walk. The dead are now risen from the dead, and all of a sudden, they're risen back to life, and the extraordinary is unfolding around them. They have seen the extraordinary. But here in this moment, they are now walking with Jesus. We're in Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10 this morning. They're walking with Jesus and they have just experienced the transfiguration They have just experienced this mountaintop experience where they're on top of the mountain and some really amazing and beautiful things happen. And I'm not going to get into it because we already talked about this a few months ago. We talked about the transfiguration a few months ago. But they had this mountaintop experience, this beautiful, beautiful moment to where their lives and their view of Jesus was completely transformed, completely changed. And then... Then they experience something else that's quite remarkable. Jesus heals a boy, a possessed boy, with an impure spirit. He he exercises the demons from this boy. Another improbable and unique, extraordinary event. But what do the disciples do after this? As they're walking, they're arguing. They're spending time bickering with each other about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who, when, when, when Jesus' kingdom was fully realized in this world and when Jesus had accumulated all the power for himself, who was going to sit at his right hand? Who was going to sit at his left hand? Who was going to have the second most power and the third most power and the fourth most power and the fifth most power? They were going down the list and they're like... Yeah, Judas, you're just not going to make the cut, bro. Like, like, I know you got the money and you think that you've got it all under control, but like, I don't think so. Like, no, 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 no. And they're just bickering back and forth. And James and John are the ones that are really having it out. They're trying to figure out, the, the sons of Zebedee are trying to figure out who will be the most powerful. They're talking about power, about who will accumulate most and who will have the most responsibility in this kingdom, who will be able to affect the most change, who will be able to create the most programs and ideas and thoughts for the world around them. They're trying to think about this and they're arguing and they're bickering and Jesus is like, hey, just so you guys know, I'm going to die. No, like, yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great. But who is going to be the greatest? Two times in this chapter, two times in this chapter, split by this story of Jesus predicting his death for the second time, they're arguing about power. Who's going to have it? Of us 12, let's draw straws. Maybe we'll figure it out that way. Maybe we'll, 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 we'll create a list and a chart of pros and cons of who is going to have it more and who is going to have less and why and who is going to really be the one that's over the Department of Transportation. Right? The most unimportant role in this administration of kingdom that is coming. Jesus looks at them. Jesus looks at them and is like, what is your deal what is going on with you? You're missing it. Your eyes are getting heavy. You're getting sleepy. You're closing down and you're missing, not the extraordinary, you're awake for that, but you're missing the the beauty that is unfolding around you. And then as they continue on, a rich man comes up to them. A rich man approaches Jesus and asks him, Hey, Jesus, how can I get into this kingdom? How can I be saved? What can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at the man and he says, Go and sell everything you've got. Get rid of it all and follow me. This is such a really fascinating passage. Really fascinating story, because here we have this man who is approaching Jesus, who's really curious about what is happening here, really curious about this Jesus, and really wants to follow him. And and of course, Jesus says, sell it all and come follow me. I think oftentimes we see it through the lens of those that don't have We see this through the lens, through the eyes of people that don't have this tremendous amount of wealth. And we look at him and we say, yeah, sell it all. You've got all the money. Get rid of it. And then come and follow Jesus. How hard could that be? And Jesus' response to the man is, how hard is it for the rich? How difficult it is for the rich to go and follow me? Because they have to get rid of everything, right? Like this, this idea of like, this is how we see this passage. But what if we flipped the eyes around and we begin to look through the eyes of this rich man who had just tremendous amounts of wealth. And he has to give it all. He has to sell everything that he has, now, we don't know how much this man has, but if we look in our own city, we have two extremely wealthy men in this city, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. And Bezos is like the most wealthy man in the world right now. And I, I, can you imagine if they approached Jesus and Jesus said, sell everything that you have, get rid of all that you have, and then come follow me. Do you know how hard that would be the reason why I say this is because CNN Money did a, a thing where they were like, trying to calculate how much money does Bill Gates make per second. That Bill Gates actually makes $114 per second. Meaning, if Bill Gates were to drop a $100 bill on the ground, it would be an unwise investment of his time to actually pick up that $100 because he would have left $14 on the table. Right? Like, it's just a weird thing that to drop $100 on the ground and to pick it up is an unwise investment of your time because he makes that much money per second. Per second. How do you get rid of all of that money wisely when that's what you're taking in per second? Or, or Bezos, who makes $275 million a day. $275 million a day, according to CNN Money, right? Like, this is insane. How do you get rid of $275 million every single day? That's more than the Bryce Harper contract that's over 13 years. He signed a $330 million contract over the course of 13 years. And this is what Bezos is making per day. If I'm that man, if I am Bezos or if I'm Bill Gates, I too would have such a difficult time of trying to figure out how on earth do I get rid of all of that wisely and well so that I may go follow Jesus? How do I turn that around and flip it around? We have to open our eyes to see differently about wealth. We have to open our eyes differently to see what is going on and how these men, how these women that are wealthy in this world can then flip their wealth around to create such tremendous good. Now, Gates is trying to figure that out, right? Gates has the foundation, which is just down the road, where where they're giving away tons and tons and tons of money to make a difference around the world, to, to create beautiful change. But is it enough? You know, these are the questions that we wrestle with. Is it enough is what we do with our money, whom we have no similar uh, challenge, right? I don't make a million dollars a day. <laughs> I don't even, I'd be lucky to make a million dollars in my lifetime, right? Like those sorts of things. Like, how then do we see what we have in the same sorts of vein? How do we use our eyes differently to see the world around us? And this was Jesus' disciples bickering over power. How on earth do we accumulate more for ourselves while this man, while this rich young ruler is approaching Jesus and Jesus is saying, how do you get rid of more of your power? Do you see the dichotomy? Do you see the paradox that is at play here? The disciples are saying, we want more power and Jesus is saying to the rich young ruler, give away all of your power. We have to see the world differently. And in the midst of it, we miss. We don't see. We are blind to what is unfolding before us. This section of Scripture ends. Brilliantly and beautifully as Mark is constructing this story, as Mark is reconstructing the events of Jesus that are unfolding with this story of blind Bartimaeus. Now Jesus enters, is in the town of Jericho and Jericho is a really fascinating historical story. Because in, in Judges, or in Joshua chapter 5, is where the battle of Jericho took place. One of the greatest battles, one of the greatest miraculous battles in all of the Old Testament. Now, now the Jericho was a town that had this wall that had been built around it. This, it had become kind of a fortress of sorts, which was pretty normal back in the day. Because as a city, you protected yourselves from bands of people by... No, by, by, by uh, like, like hordes of people that would come and like destroy your city, by building these walls around it. You would build a wall. And God says to Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk around the wall seven times, and then on the seventh day, shout, and the walls will come tumbling down. Right? There's a, there's a children's song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Yep, it just keeps going. But that's kind of, and the walls came tumbling down, right? So that's kind of the children's song. With I'm not going to sing it all. It's terrible. Anyhow, the walls come tumbling down, and this city is laid to waste. And it's this, this really, like, difficult understanding of the story of what is taking place in the Old Testament, of, of power and of structure and of society, all in the midst of this. And here is Jesus walking, leaving this town, This town where this most amazing battle took place, where where God's people came in and took over the entire city. And there's this man sitting on the side of the road, blind Bartimaeus. And what's so funny about this is is he's named. All throughout the book of Mark, there have been people that have just been like a demon possessed boy or a young girl or a, a, a hemorrhaging woman. They're just not named people. With the exception of Jairus, a ruler, Uh, so so a, a man with power, he was named in this. And now we have Bartimaeus, a poor man who sits on the side of the road and begs because he's blind, because he can't see anything. And as Jesus walks by, he begins to shout, Son of David, have mercy on me! Son of David, have mercy on me! People are like, shut! up, Bartimaeus. What is your deal? Can't you see? We got a very important, busy man here who is making his way out of the city. He's leaving. Just shut your yapper, right? And so Jesus is walking by and the, the shouts grow louder and louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. As he's screaming at the top of his lungs to get Jesus's attention. And Jesus stops Jesus stops and he says, "He says, call him, call him. Basically, bring him to me, call him. This is a really funny passage. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, get on your feet and come to this Jesus. Cheer up, cheer up. We got a blind man sitting here screaming at the top of his lungs, son of David, have mercy on me. Cheer up. Buck up, old chap. Right? Like this, this weird cheer up. Be happy. You're lucky. You should consider yourself lucky that this Jesus is calling for you with the way that you have been acting. Cheer up. Get up and come talk to him. And so he leaps. This this man, he leaps. To his feet, he tosses his cloak aside and he comes to Jesus, who says, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Such an interesting question because it's got such an obvious answer. I'm blind. Can't you see that? <laughs> right? Like, such a, such a, like, what do you want me to do for you? I don't know. I mean, I just want to talk. I just want to hang out. Have mercy on me, but you know, like, let's just hang, right? What do you want? From, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, "I want to see. I want to see." And Jesus said to him, "Go." Your faith has healed you. And immediately, the man's sight was restored to him. And he followed Jesus along on the road. I just want to see. I don't want to see the extraordinary. I just, I just want to see. Open my eyes that I may see. That I may sit and revel in the beauty of the world around me. That I can see the things that are unfolding left and right in this world. I just want to see. I want to see. We live in a world, we live in a place, we live in a city where it's so easy for us to close our eyes to the things that are happening around us. It's easy to find ourselves ignoring the people on the street that we walk by, the people on the bus that we sit next to, the bikers that we commute with almost every single day because we find ourselves on the same route at the same time, missing them, not seeing them. The coworker that sits at the cubicle catty corner to yours, or the coworker that, that you run into at the coffee shop every single day, but you still don't know their name. Or the person that you run into left and right at the coffee shop or, or, or at the grocery store, the same cashier or checkout clerk every single day, but we miss their name. We miss getting to know them because we just don't see. In the midst of this insurgence, in the midst of this revolution, we have a God who is calling out to us, open your eyes. And a Bartimaeus who said, I want to see, and God immediately opened up his eyes and he began to follow Jesus. He began to journey along with Jesus, which is probably why we know his name, but not the rich young ruler's because they got to know him. They got to know the man who was formerly blind. But they never got to know the rich young ruler because he walked away. Because he never engaged with what was taking place around them. I want to see. I hope that that can be our prayer as a church, as a community, as a people. That we can begin to open our eyes and that we can make that a prayer When God asks us, what do you want? I want to see. May we be a people whose eyes are open to the world around us. May we be a people that are seeing the things that are left unseen. And as we see the things that are left unseen, may we begin to paint a beautiful word picture of what it is that's taking place. Not only of the extraordinary and not only of the mundane and of the beautiful, but also of the ugly and of the difficult and of the heartbreak. May we tell those stories in tremendous and remarkable ways. May we be the storytellers of our generation. May we be the storytellers of our communities. May we be the storytellers that begin to reveal what is happening in the world around us. And as we share those stories we tell those stories. May we follow Jesus along with that and watch and participate in how he is changing everything around us and inviting us to do the same. Let us be those people. Let that be our story. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.